Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of the JewishBoston.com podcast. I'm going to get right into it. Uh, today, we're talking with Harris Rollinger and Rabbi Jillian Cameron about the Boston Community Leaders Cohort, a program to support innovative community leaders who are reimagining community for rising generations. It's a fantastic stuff. There'll be lots of links in the show notes to help you out, but let, let's get right into it to the theme song. Rollinger and Rabbi Jillian Cameron to talk about the Boston Community Leaders Cohort. So you might hear those words and wonder what that is. And for that, I'm going to have Harris explain. Harris, what is this? Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me, Jesse. You're welcome. And we're very excited to be here, especially for your final podcast recording. Uh, I've had the pleasure of being on a few of these um, and really appreciate all that you've done for the greater Boston Jewish community and this podcast and giving me a platform to be a fool. So that's that's very sweet, and now I will cry quietly <laughs> while I turn off my microphone. Fantastic. So um, what is the Boston Community Leaders Cohort? Uh, this is a partnership between Combined Jewish Philanthropies uh, and Harvard Divinity School, specifically two students there, Casper uh, Turkile and Angie Thurston, who um, a couple of years ago wrote a report called How We Gather, which maps the millennial religious landscape across the country um, and paints a picture um, where... As we know, we've seen more and more young adults and millennials um, no longer belong to synagogues or churches or churches are closing down. And they're searching for this notion of what Casper and Angie talk about in terms of belonging and becoming. Belonging in the sense of something that's bigger than yourself uh, and becoming in the sense of helping you in terms of your personal or professional formation, helping you become the person that you want to be. And these are these range from organizations like CrossFit as a church. Um, we all probably have friends who talk about CrossFit as if it's a religion uh, to organizations like the Dinner Party, which or, which organize conversations um, around dinners in terms of people who have experienced loss or mourning um, to programs like Millennial Trains Project, which I participated in last year, where you ride a train across the country with social entrepreneurs from around the world. Um, and it's been fascinating to, to be a part of their work um, and see where it's going in the sense of really trying to figure out how we can engage and support the leaders who are at the forefront of these movements, programs, ventures, whatever you want to call them, that are building innovative communities and engaging people across ages in their work. Um, and so for CJP, um, we decided to partner with HDS and Casper and Angie to build a program that's going to bring together about 12 to 20 uh, spiritual innovators, social entrepreneurs, community leaders, all those buzzwords, basically anyone who's leading an innovative community that's bringing people together, helping them with formation in new ways. And we're going to bring them together across faiths uh, for a nine-month cohort-based program where they'll meet monthly together to really explore spiritual formation, leadership development, and start building a community of uh, a community or a network of um, these spiritual entrepreneurs so that we can really learn from them because they've done incredible work in this community. I mean, I don't know if, you know, whether it's the November Project, which organizes people who like, you know, 50 plus people who are running the Harvard Stadium stairs at 6.30 and 5.30 in the morning on Wednesdays, which I think is absolutely insane. I could never get my butt out of bed that early. Um, to things like CrossFit or Millennial Trains Project or Starting Block, 
Um, there's just some really incredible work going on and CJP wants to be supportive of that and build bridges across the Boston community and not just within the Jewish community. So that's what this program is. It's really an opportunity for us to support these emerging leaders, these innovative thinkers um, in their work and really figure out um, what it is that's making them successful and how we can continue to support them and partner with them in the future. So <laughs> this is lots of buzzwords, I know. Yes. So the problem this is trying to solve is that people are not interacting with other similar people in the in in the way they had before people aren't there are no people aren't going to the synagogue or the temple or the federation or whatever it may be the way they used to they're looking for newer communities they're looking for more almost niche communities even and like identifying identifying amongst different groups in different ways absolutely and Jillian, I'm sure you've experienced this or seen this firsthand in your work in terms of the ways that young adults and millennials are engaging with faith-based institutions or not engaging with faith-based institutions. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about kind of the stuff that you've seen. Well, I primarily work with the interfaith population, uh, and I think it's really interesting um, how there's so many communities, so many synagogues and, and very overt Jewish communities that are trying so hard, and yet there's still a huge uh, portion of the population that just does not feel comfortable walking into those doors, whether it's their own baggage or that the, the synagogue or communities aren't quite at the point uh, where people feel comfortable in them. Uh, and I think that there's a huge sort of growing uh, collection of people who are just uninterested in that and not... Um, thinking of that as their possible community, not uh, and and finding communities other places, you know, and, and finding people who are like them and who are interested in Judaism certainly, but doing it in totally different spaces. Um, so I love that this combination of of like people who do CrossFit together, but also have like Shabbat dinners, <laughs> and Absolutely. and it's like such an amazing uh, you know mix of of things, and I think it it means that there's more people who can fit into those groups. So I think traditionally, especially, there's a perception, whether it's true or not, that you have to sort of be super Jewish to walk into overt Jewish spaces. And for people who aren't quite sure what that means for them, whether it's that they're dating someone who's Jewish and they're not Jewish, or they're you know born and raised Jewish but don't know what that means you know in their life now, um, that they still want to have something like that, but they also want to have you know other things that interest them and not feeling like you know the the sort of history of all the things that came before them. They want to, you know, express it differently. And I don't, I'm not sure that all of our institutions are quite in the place where they can offer that. So people are looking outward. Absolutely. And and even whether these institutions are positioned to be offering that. And right. um, one of the things about this program is that, um, you know, we're not looking to exclude, you know, innovative religious leaders. If there are, you know, rabbis, chaplains, ministers, imams, there are individuals at religious institutions um, that are doing really innovative community-based work that are successful in bringing people together. And all of those individuals are encouraged to apply and have already applied. Um, this is really looking to kind of share learnings um, and shared experiences across these sectors. I think what I found in talking to, to these individuals is that whether you're leading a CrossFit box or leading a congregation, the questions and challenges that you're experiencing are very similar. Because like, it's human, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's about being human. a human. That's it, why we yeah. we want to have community. It's, a, you know, 
looking for community is not Jewish. It's not Christian. It's not Muslim. It's human. And so all of these things, you know, people are still looking for it, even if they don't feel comfortable walking into traditional spaces. Exactly. And, you know, whether it's questions about, like, how do I avoid burnout or, like, am I the right leader for this community? How do I hand this off when I get too old? I'm thinking of retiring. Um, What does it mean to build community? Um, How do I know if I'm on the right path? I need a mentor. I can't find one. Um, all of these questions are shared across spaces, and one of the things that this program is going to do is really facilitate conversations around that with what we're calling spiritual elders, individuals who are spiritually mature. Um, whether it's a rabbi, a priest, an imam, they don't have to be a religious official, um, but individuals who can really guide conversations around the context of this work within faith and spirituality and meaning making. Um, and so it's been fascinating to even, I, I got to visit a space uh, called Artisan's Asylum, which is a makerspace in Somerville that's participated in Casper and Angie's work previously on a national level. And they were talking about how blown away they were by a previous gathering and how much they shared in common with religious leaders. Um, and I think that really opening that conversation and understanding understanding what's going on across these communities in terms of shared questions around leadership and development and community, um, but also that we're not all that different, um, that to Jillian's point, we're all human. And for CJP and specifically for the work that I'm doing with this program, um, we want to encourage people to, you know, to engage and practice whatever, however they want to. We don't want to define what Jewish engagement looks like or Catholic engagement. We want to support people in their belonging and becoming in whatever way is most meaningful for them. If it's happening in a CrossFit box, that's great. If it's happening in a synagogue, that's great. If it's happening on a train, if it's happening around a dinner table at a one-table Shabbat, if it's happening at interfaith families, if it's happening in a park where you're doing yoga or if you're doing yoga on the Greenway, if it's happening where you're practicing mindfulness or meditation in your office and you find that like your office space with your coworkers is your community where you feel most centered, that's great. We want to support you in that growth rather than tell you that the way in which you are finding that community or experiencing that becoming or growth is wrong. And I think what we've seen in the past is that there's more of an aversion to belonging to traditional institutions for you know a lot of the reasons that Jillian talked about, but also others that we've seen in things like the Pew study and our own community study that was released a couple of years ago. Um, and so I'm really excited by this because even in the recruitment process for this program, I've gotten to learn so much from people from different faiths and why this program resonates with them or doesn't resonate with them and the questions they have and their level of excitement. And the fact that we're doing this across faiths across the city of Boston is so cool and such a great step forward for us as a community. I think that's the most sort of exciting, unique part of it for me when thinking about what this program offers and what it it could be. Uh, Because I think, especially in the Jewish world, we spend so much time being very insular. And, you know, when we, even when we're trying to innovate or create things, or uh, we we sort of only look inward, we only invite each other. uh, And to to open it up and to think that we're sort of all sharing in the same dilemma, as we know, the studies don't just say that Jewish affiliation is down, affiliation is down all over the country in in all sorts of religious spaces. So the fact that that you guys really had the the smart forethought to think that like everyone coming together um, could create something really interesting and could teach us things that we don't already know and and not just sort of recycle the same ideas that we've been recycling because we've only been talking to each other is really amazing I think that's going to be an an extra special piece absolutely and I think that today with so much othering going on that's so 
present that the opportunity to engage in conversation across lines and across backgrounds and faiths is more important than ever uh, and something that I think we're really striving uh, to do, especially as CGP goes through its you know, first strategic planning process in 10 years and thinking about what it means to engage community and not just our own community, but others as well. So all of this to say that you know, we're really excited. If you're interested in applying, the applications close next Friday, July 28th. The requisites for being you know, eligible for this are you have to be leading a community for at least a year, and you have to be able to attend all of the dates, which you can find on our website, which is www.bostoncommunityfellowship.com. And if you're interested in learning more about the work that Casper and Angie have done through their How We Gather um, reports, something more faithful and uh, December gathering, you can find it at www.howwegather.org. Um, and highly recommend reading those reports. They're really eye-opening. and Fascinating. Yeah. I love them. Even if you don't apply, read them anyway. Absolutely. It really paints a, a very easy-to-digest picture of the what's happening in millennial you know, institutions and across religious institutions as well around engagement. And I think, you know, for this, this has been, this has been a long time coming, and we're very excited about this. And so we're really encouraging anyone and everyone um, to apply, you know, even if you, you know, just throw your hat in the ring. Um, the worst thing that can happen is that, you know, you're not accepted and it's definitely a competitive applicant pool. But we're really looking for, you know, diverse representation, whether it's from whether you're leading an LGBTQ group, whether you're leading a mindfulness group, whether you're practicing yoga um, in the basement of someone's home. Everyone is eligible as long as they're leading a community and bringing people together. Let me ask you this, uh, and maybe it was one of those reports and I didn't see it, but as part of the idea of this, the fact, you know, Across the board, people are less religious than they once were, except when it comes to the most extreme version of whatever that is. Is this a way of like firming up the center of different religious faiths? Because it, those, those are the ones that are decreasing in number while the extremes are, are growing. I would say, though, be careful about using the word religious because I think people say, I, the, one of the things that people say to me all the time is, I'm not religious, but that means something different for every single person who says it. So someone said to me recently, I'm not religious, but we light Shabbat candles every Friday night and we go to synagogue regularly and we love listening to Jewish music. And That sounds very like, religious to me. Right, it sounds religious to me too. But for them, what, from whatever context they have about what religious means, and maybe that's a more sort of Israel-focused you know, focused understanding of what religious means, um, very black and white uh, versus, you know, what I might think to be religious. But anyway, the point is, think about, you know, that that's an interesting term and people use it in all sorts of ways. So I would I would say that don't use the word religious necessarily, because I think, again, it can mean a million different things. Yeah. And and to build off of what Jillian was just saying, I, I, I don't mean to minimize anything that anyone has said, but the way in which um, I've started to think about it is based off of uh, a mentor of mine who recommended a book called Jobs to be Done by Clayton Christensen, and the job to be done by religion for people is looking different today than it used to. The job to be done for some people is to provide a sense of community. For others, it's a belief in God. For others, it's it's really just cultural. Um, so I think that the job to be done by faith and religion, less faith and just more like traditional religion, looks different today for the millennial young adult generation, and even outside of that. I think um, we're seeing across generations that the job to be done is looking different. It's not one size fits all. And so in terms of your question, I think it, I don't know that it's like showing up the middle. I think this is really a learning opportunity for everyone involved, especially uh, CJP as an institution. And I think there's also like an underlying assumption, which I certainly as a rabbi feel strongly about, that these that these connections through some sort of religious whatever that is are worth it, that there's some, that, that, 
for me, Judaism is worth exploring or, you know, th that you can sort of do this outside of a, having anything to do with religion, but we're sort of doing it within the sense of spirituality and religion. And, and the assumption is that that's worth exploring. And that, so I think there are a lot of people have counted that out and said like, this isn't, you know, I'm going to go to CrossFit because I'm, you know, not interested in, in religion, um, you know, big R religion. And yet um, some of those same things that they get out of CrossFit or any of, of these other gatherings um, are the same kind of things that I'm passionate about, about religion. Um, so sort of th there's an assumption that it's, it's worth exploring. And I think showing people the relevance of, of these, this exploration is really important. May I suggest two ideas? One, uh, sure. Jews who like to go to trampoline parks, right? <laughs> Done. And uh, Jews who like to play video games. There we go. Two. Are those both existent groups? For Jesse. They, I, I can make them right now. <laughs> uh, Is there I, a meetup? I, I, there will be. I just love jumping on trampolines. Just the thing. I've, I, I, I still have never been one of those trampoline parks. I think I've just heard horror stories of people like, shattering their legs. I, I've never actually been. I, I've been inside them, but never actually been able to go on them because they're kids mostly but like just jumping on a trampoline is just something i've always enjoyed for strange reasons it's just something calming there's a to whole me. fitness craze around trampolines. yeah it's, it's very calming to me if you watch uh busy phillips on instagram she talks about it a lot interesting yeah. i'll have to check this out um <laughs> so i mean I, where i was going with that sort of middle <laughs> question returning to serious topics <laughs> i guess was so if organized religion looks different now and has a different job now than it did is the problem this entity trying to solve or just trying to discuss is the fact that what should organized religion's job be now, right? Because like an answer might not come, but the discussion is just as important because new information might come from the discussion because you know these these different groups, these different you know people with different religious backgrounds might come to an understanding that while in the short term might not lead to more people coming in, will lead to a long term growth. I think it's. Like to Jillian's point earlier, I wouldn't necessarily say that like the people who go to CrossFit are looking for, or, or, and I, I hate to use CrossFit as the only example, like the people who are like going to a weekly dinner gathering to discuss politics or social justice are not necessarily looking for that to play the role of religion. They're looking to be part of a community and they haven't found that community in other aspects of their life. Um, and some people, you know, say that they're not looking for community, but again, to Jillian's earlier point, it's human nature to want to be part of something that's bigger than you that provides that sense of belonging. Um, and so I think that to your question, um, the conversation that we're looking to have is how are you bringing people together? What makes it successful? What are the components of spirituality and or faith that you're infusing or that you might be infusing and you don't even know that you're infusing or that the root of some of this actually is in the is in the Talmud or the Torah or exists in the Quran, wherever it might be, I think that we often forget the roots of our, of our work and, w and where there are similarities, especially not even just in what our work looks like, but in the way in which we think about it. I'm very, I'm willing to guarantee that the way that a rabbi thinks about building community is fairly similar to the way that someone who's thinking about building community in, you know, a singing group or an improv group or some sort of social impact fellowship. I, I think that it's it's rethinking the question itself of not like, why aren't we engaging people and, and, and why isn't this working as a, instead thinking about what is working and how can we support that? Because telling people 
how they should engage or something that like in, even on a personal level for me i've always not always but for a really long time felt like um, my judaism wasn't like real judaism in quotations because of my own personal beliefs and it wasn't until having some really interesting conversations where i basically was came to the conclusion of like my judaism is my judaism i'm gonna own it like just because i don't go to synagogue or keep kosher doesn't make me any less of a jew than anyone else just because i find my community in other places i don't care and that's fine with me i'm really proud of my community and my faith but my faith looks really different than the way that my grandparents faith looked or my great great grandparents or my parents or my rabbis um than you know a lot of other jews and I think that we're finding that across face and one of the goals of this program is to just better understand the not only not really even the thought process behind that but how we can support the organizations that are building that community because that's what cjp is about i mean we're about stronger jewish community and if that looks like if that looks different than it did 10 20 30 40 50 years ago that's fine, but we need to find a way to support that. And I think that that's one of the goals of this program is that we recognize it's not just limited to the Jewish community. To Jillian's point, we're seeing this across faiths. Right. And I think to your question as well, that I don't think the mission of organized religion actually has changed or should change. I think it's the mode that of how to access that that is always changing and has evolved from the beginning of time to where we are now and will continue to evolve. I think the, the purpose of religion is pretty stays pretty similar and is very much sort of connected with being human and the, the things that human beings need. And so I, I'm not sure that it's that the effort is is to change organized religion as much as it is to change how people understand and experience and, and, and think about all the different possible ways and sort of be part of that evolution. What would you say, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, what would you say to someone who would look at this and be like, why do we keep... And I, I can't even play the devil's devil's advocate role here well, but like this sounds like you're trying to help organizations cater to a group of people who still just if they don't want to get involved, they don't need to get involved. There's no reason to waste the time and energy trying to bring more people in who don't want to come in in the first place. So I think there's a difference, and I think about this all the time in my work, there's a difference between people who are just uninterested in getting involved, because I agree. You know, people who are just sort of angry about being involved and, and are never going to do it, we shouldn't waste our time. I mean, we should give them opportunities and have that, you know, the open door. But, you know, putting all of our energy into people who are just never you know, we know those people who are just, that's just not what they're into, and that's cool. But I call them the toe dippers. The people who have dipped their toe into something, you know, who are scared, maybe scared or fearful, who, uh, you know, have been told no before, who haven't found the right spot for them, those are the people that I think we should be thinking about more. The people who've just, you know, sort of dipped that toe in. Yeah, there's this discussion constantly, it seems like, whether it's on e-Jewish philanthropy <laughs> or elsewhere, yeah. of like, there are all of these unaffiliated Jews and we must find them and bring them through <laughs> right. our doors and engage them and have them marry other Jews mm. or raise their kids Jewish and then in, and then donate to to uh, Federation or, or our JCC and then become paying members of our congregation. And it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> they Those people exist, but if nobody wakes up in the morning, and this is one of the things I've learned in the past year, again, from the same mentor who introduced me to Jabs Be Done, and I think about this all the time, which is that, when someone wakes up in the morning who's experiencing confusion or confliction or trouble or challenges, they don't wake up in the morning and think to themselves, God, 
you know, I'm an unaffiliated Jew. <laughs> I got to get affiliated. They wake up and they think to themselves, I can't afford to pay my college loans or I'm not in shape or I need it. I want to find a job that provides meaning or I want to meet someone I want to spend the rest of my life with. The idea of being part of an organized institution and being an affiliated Jew or an affiliated anything is not the top concern for most people. And to Jillian's point, if you're thinking about it on like a five-point scale, the ones and the twos, the people who are like, I didn't go to Jewish summer camp, maybe I got bar mitzvahed, my parents haven't belonged to a synagogue since I was five, I don't want anything to do with this stuff. Like, I'm finding my stuff elsewhere. And like, and I'm Jewish, but like, I'm Jewish because my parents are Jewish. And like, that's in my blood. Then there are like the threes and the fours who have like maybe dipped the toe, definitely got bar mitzvahed, maybe they went on birthright. And like, I hate to like put an archetype to it, but like, that's where like in terms of an engagement strategy like i think more of the success lies but the thing is is that our identities more than ever are so fluid mm -hmm. like i can walk into a space and be a jew and the next minute i can be a social entrepreneur and the next minute i can be a retired stand-up comedian and then i can be a partner and then i can be a retired college tennis player and then i can be an aspiring gymnast you've like, already retired at so many things like, you're, I know. Not, you're not even 30 yet <laughs> and, and my body's broken down and you know i'm just not the kind of i don't move the way i used to um and i just, don't make just people, wait I, I just make people laugh the way i used to but all of this to say that like f more than ever our identities are really fluid and it's very rare that we find people who are constantly leading with one identity and saying that someone and we're always Jewish and that it's in our blood or it's who not we are. Not even necessarily. Or not even, or not even that. But like it doesn't necessarily mean that's always how we walk into a room or a space. And I think that that understanding is has been slow um, in part from large institutions and thinking that like the goal is not to win in the sense of making people feel more Jewish. The goal should be helping people become connected and the person that they want to be in whatever way is most meaningful for them. And if that's through federation, if that's through JCC, if that's through tech study, if that's through going to a bar night or going on birthright or traveling to Israel, or if it's by you know doing yoga with other Jews or across faiths, or if it's going on a walking club or meditating or lifting weights or running, like working in a soup kitchen, yeah, or working in a, like volunteering in a soup kitchen, whatever it is, it it just doesn't necessarily always look like the way we thought it used to look. Well, I know I don't have you for that much longer, so if I may close this out, you'll never uh, lose me, Jesse. Yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> I can uh, stay for a couple more minutes. Don't worry. Do you mind if I close this out with a little rant? On oh, um, it, as uh, long as it's about Sean Spicer. <laughs> Actually, it's about it's about the term millennials and uh, and generations yeah. as yeah. a thing. Have you heard of Xenials? Yes, because I I'm have. I'm pretty what, excited about what the hell is a Xenial? It, it, it's for the people it's who don't want to. Yeah, it, it's me too. It's the Oregon Trail generation. Exactly. It's, it's it's the, oh, I loved it's Oregon the, Trail. Yeah. It's the people who don't quite feel like actual millennials, but are also not Generation yeah. X. And the other thing is, I, I'm these things don't exist, by the no, way. No, these are no, not real things. Totally arbitrary. And, and the thing is, is that I'm so guilty of doing this for this entire podcast. But we put these people in a box because our brains work in terms of organizing Categories, things into yeah. schemas. And you know what? Not every millennial is the same. And and what? Do, and don't put us in a box. Like, and that's and I think that's part of the problem is that like everyone is everyone thinks that everyone like wants to be part of a CrossFit gym. There are 
thousands. Oh my god, I really don't ever want to. No, no it looks not terrifying, <laughs> and uh, no, I don't like, want to do it. But there are people who want to be a part yes. of traditional Jewish community, and we read these articles that are like, you know, this generation is the most likely to give philanthropically, and they only do it if it's through Kiva, or they only <laughs> do it if it's through Kickstarter, and it's like that's not true. I think we've we have a tendency for groupthink and to read something or to have a discussion and immediately we're like, you know what? Everyone's doing it. We gotta go there. When in reality it's it runs across and for especially for the Jewish community, we are so different. And it, like no Jew is the same. Right. And as technology moves so quickly, I feel like there's the generational, you know, assignments also have become so much smaller, right? This zenial, you know, population. It's like a five year. Yeah. You know, and, and the difference between, you know, that five years is actually really large. You know, the is. difference between, you know, 1980 versus 1985 being born, you know, you know, there's incredible differences in how you grew up. Uh, whereas like the baby boomer generation can be like a 15 year span yeah. and people feel very comfortable in that identity. Yeah. I mean, even thinking about it, like, if you were born in 1980, odds are you experienced like some real Rick Astley and or flock of seagulls. And if you're born in like 85 or 86, you might have missed the heyday of the 80s. Yeah. yeah. No, you definitely did because you, you know, don't remember most of it at the end. Yeah. Uh, but it, it and I mean, again, our, mo our world moves faster. Yeah, so I mean, things get segmented much smaller. So therefore, you know, what is, you know, how long is the millennial sort of, you know, Namaka really going to yeah, really going to work? I'm it, sure that very soon we're going to see an article that's like, people who were just born are like more likely to work with robots right. and it's going to be like of course uh, right. you know. i mean like the baby boomer generation is the only actual real generation that exists as far as like de demographics is concerned like all the other ones were just like made up and people use them but they're not real and they don't i, I, I don't like real. i mean what I, is real jesse I, mean, <laughs> I just don't like grouping people who are born in like a 15 year span all across the country into one group that share personality traits that's insane that is an insane yeah. social science thing to do and it and it People do it because it makes them feel more comfortable yeah. understanding I and mean, being like, those darn millennials. Let's be honest, too. People do it so they can sell things to you. That's right. And to, to the baby boomers listening, everything that's going wrong right now is entirely your fault. So <laughs> stop blaming things on millennials yeah. who don't exist. Do you baby exist. boomers understand how to work podcasts? They, you know, th their grandchildren show them how to use <laughs> Sorry, it. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> No, it's it's all fascinating and we're all guilty of it i was just guilty of it for the last 35 minutes and, <laughs> i know and, and every time you said it, i was like ur, ur, ur. yeah and i i just want to instead say like people who are in their 20s and their 30s or 40s or 50s because you know what the truth of the matter is is that there are people who want to experience millennial trends project who are in their 80s and there are people who work out of crossfit boxes or do november project who are in their 60s and 70s and you know what it doesn't matter yeah it's what you feel on the inside. There yeah, you go. It's age is just a number. Age yeah. is just a age number. is just a number, and don't numbers tell don't that to exist. Kelly, though. Yeah, <laughs> or tell that to our Kelly. Uh, and now to too the remix part of the podcast. <laughs> um, well, th thank you both very much, and thank you. But, but before we sign off, yes. we, again, we just want to say, you've been an incredible host of this podcast, an incredible community member of the Jewish community, someone who's really pushed everything forward in terms of greater greater Boston Jewish community and JewishBoston.com. You will be missed. I will miss sending you emails about Star Wars and all things media and pop culture, and we wish you nothing but the best as you journey to Oklahoma. Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely. There, there's going to be a lot more podcasts forthcoming from the Tulsa area, as the Tulsa, <laughs> Tulsa Community Library has a wonderful podcast studio that you can rent for free. So Awesome. Look, look out for those, and thank <laughs> you both. And go to www.bostoncommunityfellowship.com for more information, or you can email me at harrisr at cjp.org. All right. Do you want to give any URLs? or? No, I'm good. All right. 
Thanks, Just everybody. A, a Shabbat Shalom. Yeah, Shabbat Shalom. It is Friday. Shabbat Shalom. You might be hearing this on Monday, but we record it on Friday because that's how podcasts work. So, thank you. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation. I really like talking to Harris and uh, Rabbi Cameron very much. This is a very interesting program that they're starting. And uh, just a reminder that the applications are due at the end of this week, the week that's ending July 28th. I want to thank you all, um, all the listeners who have supported this podcast, um, as this will probably be my last one before I leave JewishBoston.com. I want to thank you all for supporting this. It was a dream of mine that I got to do. And it was amazing. I got to speak to some amazing, amazing people. And I just want to thank you all. And if you ever want to reach out to me personally, give me a shout out on the Facebooks. Shabbat shalom, everybody.